Ever since I was a kid, I loved sleep. So growing up, the most dreadful words to hear every morning were, rise and shine. My mom would have to visit my room multiple times just to make sure that I was fully out of bed. And to this day, I am still not a morning person. And when I came to Stanwich Church to serve as the campus director for Stanford, one of the first things that Pastor David told me I had to lead was the 6 a.m. prayer meetings on Wednesdays. Now, I come from a Korean background, and in the Korean church, early morning prayer is widely practiced and a daily ritual. I guarantee that if you were to walk into any Korean church, either here in this country or back in South Korea, you will find an early morning prayer service full of Koreans praying intensely before the crack of dawn. But I was not one of those Koreans, since I like to sleep. So you can imagine my surprise when I left the Korean church to come serve at Sandwich Church, only to find out that I would be leading the 6 a.m. prayer meeting. I thought, wow, Sandwich is more Korean than me. Now, I have to admit that there are times when it's really hard to get up in the morning, especially when the weather is cold and it's still dark outside. But the effort to get up would all be worth it in the end, especially if I got to catch the sunrise. There are times when I would see the sun just beginning to rise from the horizon as bright streaks of red, pink, and orange slowly overcame the darkness of the night. And the sunrise was a reminder to me that no matter how dark the night, the light would inevitably shine for all to see. Now in this passage in Isaiah that we're about to study, it had been a long, dark night for the people of Israel. Their sins led them astray, and they were conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and forced into exile. After 70 years of living in captivity, only a small remnant of the Jews returned to Jerusalem, only to find their beloved city in ashes. Seeing their city and their temple in ruins was a reminder that they were a defeated people. Israel had failed their mission to be a light to the Gentiles because they allowed sin to enter their midst. And it would be a long road ahead to rebuild their lives, their families, their beloved city, and their temple. Even if they were to rebuild, Jerusalem would only be a mere shadow of the great city that their parents and their grandparents once knew. And the people wondered if God was still even with them. These words from the prophet Isaiah came to encourage the despondent community. Let's read what it says in the first part of Isaiah 60, verse 2. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. Isaiah acknowledges that there is darkness, but he points to the greater reality that it wasn't just Israel in darkness, but the entire world was covered in darkness. Have you ever been to a place where there was thick darkness that prevented people from seeing the light, from seeing God? Before I moved to Stanford, I lived in Rockland County, New York for the last 10 years, and I worked and attended a Christian college in Nyack, right across the former Tappan Zee Bridge. And once I moved there, I quickly discovered that the spiritual climate of Nyack was very dark. At the time, it was the second city after Salem, Massachusetts, that had the most witchcraft in America. There were tunnels in the woods right behind the college campus where people would report seeing cloaked figures making sacrifices and participating in all kinds of occultic activity. 
On top of that, Nayak was responsible for making the New Age movement very popular in North America. I remember when I used to work at the school, a man visited us one day who was a New Age practitioner, and he had read in one of his books that Nayak was the place where it all began. Well, it's no wonder that God would place a Christian college and a seminary in one of the darkest places to shine his light. It doesn't take much for us to recognize that we live in a world of darkness, whether the darkness is blatantly obvious like that of witchcraft or more subtle. Just read the news and you'll see story after story of corruption, violence, and tragedy, which reminds us that we are living in a world of darkness as a result of sin. And just like the Israelites, you may be thinking, oh, it's so dark and terrible out there in the world. What hope is there? Well, Isaiah continues on in verse 2 and makes this hopeful declaration. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. The solution to the world's darkness is God himself. While the darkness covered the earth, God himself would come and deliver his people out of darkness and bring them into his marvelous light. The darkness doesn't change. It stays exactly the same. But it is the light and the glory of God that sets people free from darkness. So what is the glory of God? The glory of God is the invisible character and qualities of God made visible. The glory is his presence, his character, his nature, his ability, his provision, the splendor and weight of his majesty. It is the opposite of darkness and obscurity. God's glory is seen and tangible, and it lifts us out from darkness. In the Old Testament, the glory of God appeared as a cloud and as a fire or smoke, illuminating the way for the people of Israel as they wandered the wilderness. God even instructed Israel to observe a special holiday known as the Feast of the Tabernacles to remind them of how he dwelt amongst them as they wandered the wilderness. During Jesus' time, the Feast of the Tabernacles was one of the most festive celebrations of the year. And during this festival, each family would live in a temporary hut or a booth to remember and relive God's protection and provision as Israel wandered the wilderness for 40 years. And one of the rituals that would take place during this festival was the illumination of the temple. There would be these four giant pillars shaped like candlesticks, measuring 75 feet high, that would be set ablaze. And because the temple was stood on top of a hill, the blazing candles would illuminate the entire city of Jerusalem so that everyone below could see from afar. This glorious light from the temple would have kindled the collective memories of the people as they recalled God's glory that manifested as a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night as their ancestors walked through the wilderness. And it was at the Feast of the Tabernacle when Jesus entered the scene and made this radical statement in John 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To stand in the middle of the temple in conjunction with the Feast of the Tabernacles and say, I am the light, was like saying, I am the glory of God. I am the pillar of fire. 
And the Pharisees immediately rejected Jesus' claim. Though they were the religious leader that studied God's word their entire lives, they suffered from spiritual blindness and could not see that the long-awaited Messiah prophesied by Isaiah was right in front of them. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the glory of God in the flesh. The Son of God left his throne in heaven, plunged himself into the darkness of our world in order to set us free. He endured the darkness of Gethsemane. In anguish, he prayed fervently in the night, asking the Father to take this cup from him. But not his will, but thy will be done. On the night of his arrest, Jesus was beaten, bound by rope, and lowered into a cold, dark cell where he awaited his fate alone in the darkness, completely abandoned by his closest friends. And on the following day, he carried the weight of all our sins and was nailed to a cross. Scripture tells us that in Jesus' final moments on earth, Darkness covered the land for three hours straight. And at the time, it looked like the darkness had won. But the reality was that the same cross where Jesus was crucified now became a pillar of light for all mankind. For three days later, Jesus would arise from his tomb, bursting forth with resurrection light. That's one of the reasons why the early church changed their worship from Sabbath to Sunday morning. They would worship as the sun rose from the horizon, and the sunrise would be a reminder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was the light of the world that dispelled the darkness, and one day he would return to eliminate darkness once and for all. So what is our response to the light that was given for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, let's read the words from Isaiah 60 in verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This is the command that God gave to a group of defeated people who are living in darkness. He says to arise, which in Hebrew means to rise up or stand up. The message translation says, get out of bed, Jerusalem. Wake up. Put your face in the sunlight. God's glory has risen for you. In the old covenant, the glory of God appeared as a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. But in the new covenant, the glory of God that appeared through Jesus now appears through us. We are the carriers of God's glory. And just as Jesus declared of himself, he now says to us as his disciples in Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our response to the light of the world is to first receive the light for ourselves, then get up and shine his light to the world. But sometimes there are obstacles that get in the way of us shining God's light. Our own fears, insecurities, doubts, busyness, distractions, and even spiritual lethargy are all obstacles that prevent us from shining God's light. I want to encourage you today to pray and ask God to examine your heart to see if you are a lamp on a stand or a lamp hidden under a basket. Personally, I confess that in my own human frailty, I'm much more prone to hiding in a basket than being a lampstand for God. Why? Because it's safe to hide under a basket. You don't fear what people think or whether or not you'll make mistakes. But God didn't call us to play it safe. He called us to shine his light. And here is what Isaiah says will happen to God's people when they shine their light. It says in Isaiah 60, verse 3 to 5, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, and the wealth of the nations shall come to you. One of the promises that come as a result of God's people shining their light is that nations will be drawn to God. That means you don't even have to leave this country in order to reach the nations. People of all backgrounds, ethnicities, and cultures will be drawn to the light of Christ in you. It also says in verse 4 that sons and daughters will come from afar. That means families will be restored as a result of God's glory rising upon us. What would it look like if sons and daughters who've gone astray, living in darkness, were to encounter the light of Christ? Back when I lived in Nyack, I would run into people who were in darkness all the time. And one day, my friends and I were together at Starbucks, and we were praying together. And as we were praying, a young man overheard us and asked if he could join. I looked over, and I glanced, and I saw this big, burly guy, six feet tall, and he was in his maybe early to mid-twenties, his entire body covered with piercings and tattoos. He had these really strange, weird occultic symbols that were tattooed all over his arms and his legs. And so we said, well, would you like to join us for prayer? And he said, yes, I'll pray with you through my seven chakras. And so I knew, oh, this guy's into the new age. And so I said to him, well, when we pray to God, we only go through one medium, and that's through Jesus Christ. Do you still want to pray? And he said, to my surprise, yeah, I want to pray with you. So we all started to pray together. And immediately as we prayed, my friends and I sensed the hand of God over this young man's life. And we knew that God had been pursuing him for a long time. Well, it turned out that many years ago, the young man had a dream when he was heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol. And in the dream, a man appeared to him and was circling around him several times. He finally stood right in front of him face to face. And when he looked 
at the man, he was just glowing and beaming with light. He looked into the man's eyes and he sensed the greatest love and euphoria fill his own body, which was incomparable to any of the drugs that he had ever taken. But even after that powerful encounter, the young man slowly fell back into the cycle of addiction and into the darkness. His life was slowly wasting away, and he realized that the only chance he had was to come back to his hometown in Nyack. And that is where he found us, sitting in Starbucks praying. My friends and I explained to him that the man he saw in the dream was none other than Jesus, who wanted to set him free from darkness. And as we prayed, the glory of God began to touch him, and he began to weep under the power of the Holy Spirit. God gave us glimpses of this young man's future. He wanted him to create music that would help set other young people free from their darkness. And as we shared these words, the young man said, I actually do compose music, and my passion is to work with teenagers who are struggling with addiction just like I did. That day, God showed up powerfully for this young man. And if all that wasn't enough, all of a sudden as we're praying, this guy's family just happened to walk past the Starbucks we were in, recognizes him from the window, and comes bursting through the doors excitedly, embracing him in their arms. The entire encounter ended with an unexpected family reunion. That day, the glory of God came to Starbucks. Out of all places, Starbucks. God not only delivered this young man out of darkness, but he restored him back to his family right in the middle of a coffee shop. Only God could orchestrate something like that. Now, as I'm sharing this story, there might be someone coming to your mind right now who may have gone astray and is living in darkness. Perhaps it's your own child, a parent, a friend, a loved one who needs the encounter the encounter of the light of Christ, or perhaps it's us, maybe it's you that need to encounter the light of Christ today. I want to encourage you to go to the light. And I want to encourage those of you who are praying for those that need to encounter the light of Christ, keep praying for there is power in prayer. Most of us, if not all of us, are here today in this room as a result of someone else's prayer. Remember, it was prayer that initially drew this young man to my friends and I at Starbucks. God can do wonders if we can make ourselves available to him. There is no place where the glory of God can't reach his people because his glory is in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That means your workplace, your home, your school, the gas station, the supermarket, these are all places where the glory of God can shine for those who are in darkness. So friends, in 2019, I encourage us to arise and shine. May God use us to be pillars of light, to draw people out of the darkness and into his light for the glory of his holy name. Thanks be to God.